Let's not forget where the very root cause of these problems came from. It was our government, the fact that our economy and country was founded on profit and slavery. If it's based off of a flawed principle, then how do you continue to grow off of something that's already, you know, poisonous? One take. Lotus the one. I love you, Bobby. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an outlier, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you've given up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you've given up? Welcome to the heart of the matter in black and white with Becky Holloway yeah. and Essence Rebels. Today we will be answering the question of is the justice system rigged? Yeah. We'll be sharing our perspective and the perspective of a very special guest. So this is a huge topic. Is the justice system rigged? Um, we originally started uh, thinking we could contain it all in one podcast episode and quickly realized that there were many facets to it. So we're going to at least do two parts to this. Who knows? Maybe even more eventually. But we're going to start today with the law enforcement side of how the justice system is rigged. And I am very pleased to introduce my husband, Nick, uh, who happens to be a retired disabled law enforcement officer. He was at Trenton State Prison for, what, 14 years? I'll let you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your right. time and, and the setting you worked. I, I won't tell it for you. So it was, it was slightly more than 13 years. I worked in that setting and it is one of the toughest settings as it's the maximum setting. The average inmate there has approximately one and a half murders in their jacket. The average sentence is 35 years to life. When I first started working there, um, we still housed death row inmates until they commuted their sentences to life without, uh, without any chances of getting out. Um, so I've had uh, quite a bit of uh, education in this background. The state corrections officers in, in NJDOC, um, when I went to the academy, still went to Seagirt uh, military base. We lived there for several months and uh, went along through the academy as law enforcement officers and graduated as law enforcement officers. And it's also the same place at where they uh, train the state troopers and as well as JJC, which is juvenile justice and also the military. So. That's uh, a short little snippet about my uh, law enforcement background. Uh, it's heavy in the criminal code specifically to uh, NJ uh, 2C, which is our criminal code, as well as 10A, which is our penal system that enforces the law with incarcerated inmates. So uh, there's a lot of people focus on what happens to inmates when they, I mean, a person when they get arrested and you're on the street, but not many people know about the law once you're incarcerated. So uh, I think it's important to know both aspects as well as the way law is applied to everybody. So, and, and one thing to note here that in 
our state, which is New Jersey, and this may be different for some of our other listeners, that in the state of New Jersey, corrections officers are law enforcement. That's not true in every state, but in our state, it is the case. Yes, in our state, it's the case. In other states like California, it's the case. Uh, PA, not the case. Um, It it depends really state to state. Um, NJDOC is actually the second largest law enforcement department in the country behind California Corrections Department. And a little bit about our department is when Ground Zero happened on 9-11, Our department was the largest organization involved on Ground Zero in New York City, as well as North Jersey. And uh, (laughs) our governor at the time tried pulling us out and um, the president said, nope, that's not gonna happen. So uh, just to let you know our involvement, we had everything from the largest canine unit to uh, light rescue team, as well as guarded a lot of the nuclear power power plants, uh, bases, and even the uh, USS Hope, which is the largest floating hospital in the world. Thank you, Nick. So I have no law enforcement experience outside of um, my favorite law, law and order show. So I, <laughs> so I like to think that I have some background there, right? Um, lots of opinions, but so we wanted to ask what were, we want to now talk about like the, the experience of the population that you served while you were a correctional officer. What were the socioeconomic, educational and psychosocial problems that you feel heavily impacted the population you served? So uh, it it was very sad to me the first time I entered a prison and gradually learning through time the type of person that's in prison. Here's an interesting statistics for for instance, only between three and five percent of serial murders are ever caught. So that tells you the average criminal in prison isn't somebody who is like really the worst of the worst. In fact, I would say a percentage are just everyday people who get caught in the wrong circumstance and make one mistake in their life, as awful as it can be. And unfortunately, the cost is their freedom, and in some cases, their freedom for the rest of their life. A high percentage of of the inmate population, it's uh, extreme things like poverty, um, the rates of illiteracy are highest amongst inmates than almost any other demographic in the country. Then not only that, I would say a great majority of them also have severe mental health conditions. I really believe that, you know, the movement to get rid of the asylums and the, the, the horrible treatment of people with mental health conditions in our country has now just been replaced with a prison. Also, with our history with you know, slavery, racism, discrimination towards uh, people of color, other groups such as uh, the indigenous and other minorities. Those forms of government that made slavery possible went to things like Jim Crow. And now to basically, you know, prison is still a form of legal slavery. And now they use these inmates to do everything from, in some states, they use them for for workers for contracts with corporations that have call centers. So sometimes when you're talking to a call center, you're actually talking to an incarcerated person making maybe two to $3 a day. Then you have inmates that are used to build furniture. Uh, Some of your local delicatessens, your meats and and products you eat are sliced by an inmate near you. And the amount of profit made off of these inmates sometimes is disgusting. Not only are they making money off of 
the counties who are sending county inmates to state level, other states sending inmates to to their state in in, in, in between other states, and in other many areas, they're also getting fat off of these huge bloated contracts. Like for instance, it doesn't cost 20, 30, $40 for a phone call for several minutes, but yet that's how much it might cost an inmate to make a telephone call. So there, there is a lot of things that involve profit and the oppression of people when it comes to the prison system. And I just think most people aren't aware, it, aware of it, so. So you've mentioned um, a few of the problems that inmates face that you know they have a disproportionate uh, rate of illiteracy mm -hmm. they have a disproportionate rate compared to the general population of uh, mental health issues and in higher poverty rates um, we obviously know that the the demographics of prison that that incarcerated individuals disproportionately are people of color uh, compared to you know the the white population which is there's more white people, but fewer in prison. So we, you know, with that, with that in mind, how do you, so that the title of this episode was, you know, how the justice system is rigged. Do you think the justice system is rigged in, in targeting kind of those different demographics? And if it is rigged, what are the ways that it's rigged? I mean, just from the start, if you look at the way people come into the criminal system through interaction between law enforcement and blue collar crime versus white collar crime, there's already a huge disadvantage there. I mean, obviously the more affluent person can afford, afford their, their, their high powered attorneys to have a better outcome. Whereas somebody who is of a lower class or um, a disproportionately affected group such as people of color or, or minorities, then the system's already rigged before they even start. You know, you have one minor hiccup, uh, whether it be a simple, you know, criminal offense, or you're treated in a way where, you know, a violation, because most, most vehicle uh, interactions between police are, are, are not technically criminal laws you're breaking, but they're just regular offenses of uh, violating a specific rule. I mean, it's, there, there's a difference between being a criminal and just being human and making a mistake, uh, like not seeing a sign versus, you know, actually actively being violent towards somebody. But I think it's just, you know, not fair from the get go, just because the fact that you already have the, the, these people, whether it's people of color or other people that are marginalized, already starting at a disadvantage. So once you sit down in front of a judge, the fact you don't have money or means already affects the outcome. I mean, whereas a poor person, for instance, doesn't have the money, but the money to get a public defender, which in a lot of cases is free, he's overworked. He has little to no resources to his own use to help you as a client. And that's, again, it's, it's just not fair. Um, why should that person get less representation than somebody who has wealth? If you're not starting off at an equal footing, then you're never gonna be able to get the same equal and equitable chances as the person who does have the wealth and the power. So I, I think that's where it starts. And it just becomes like compound interest from that point on. 
it's it, this snowball effect of not having this these few you know advantages become huge and bigger and bigger and just become so huge that you can never get that albatross off your back so to speak it's really unfair and the fact that people aren't willing to really like look at it and be honest about their advantages over other people or disadvantage just are living in an alternate reality where they just don't care about the people around them and it just shows the lack of emotional intelligence for your fellow man it's it's really frustrating and and one thing i'm very passionate for that everybody should be treated fairly especially in that setting and especially when it's going to come to your freedom and in a lot of cases when you don't have the good lawyer the prosecutors trump up charges that are higher than what you deserve and their tactic is to strong arm you into a plea deal because all they care about at the end of the day is a win and they really don't care about your life they want to get you off their docket and they want to win so i mean for instance if you're got caught with a a knife they might try to tell you you're going to prison for 5 years if you get these higher charges but if you settle for probation for 3 years you won't get anything well for a person that has no money to fight it <laughs> 3 years probation sounds like the best deal even though you're innocent. Right. Uh, no money and, to fight it and no knowledge about the law. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're sitting there petrified like okay, I have to listen to everything that they're saying and they, and they have to be telling me the truth because I had I have no other knowledge that tells me otherwise. Like that yeah. that just drives me crazy and I think about the Central Park 5 boys. Mm. and and oh, what yeah. they went through yeah. and just their parents like no one knew I think there was only like one mom that was like you are not doing this to my child yeah just not knowing and how you're just taking advantage of and I think you talked about Nick the money and money continues to show itself in every single almost every episode that we talk about Becky it shows yes. itself in healthcare. if you have more money you get better health care if you have more money you just if you have more money you go to the better schools that's why people literally kill themselves and kill people over money. Money rules this country and world. And it's sad. Yeah. And I, I also wonder, you know, when you look at, you know, the demographic of the average attorney or the average judge, right? Like these people in power, they're not the same as the people, you know, in front of them who are being judged, right? There's, there's a real discrepancy there. And I also wonder how that factors in as well. Great point. Hmm. Well, it's almost impossible for a person to empathize with your conditions or your blights or your situation if they they didn't come from the same roots or or fabric that you came from. So if if you came from an upper class and never experienced a lot of, you know, hardships in your life, then how 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 do you have the right to judge that person then? Yeah. And I I also think that when you um you know, I've heard people say things like, well, if you just followed the law, then, you know, you wouldn't get caught up in the criminal justice system. Well, that's just not true. No, it's not true. And let's remember, slavery was once legal, and that was made by the government. Right. So let's, let's not act like all laws that are made today are in the best interest of of the people of this country. And let's, let's not forget where the very root cause of these problems came from. It was our government, the fact that our economy and country was founded on profit and slavery. I mean, that, that is the reason why we're have, having such a hard time in all these other layers that have happened over hundreds and hundreds of years. When the foundation of the house that's built is on slavery, there is no way 
to rec recognize a house without seeing that foundation. And you either need to change the foundation by continuing to strengthen the house, or you got to start over. And really, the house is just going to be as strong as its foundation. So really, maybe the best thing is to start over in a lot of these circumstances. Because if it's based off of a flawed principle, then how do, do you continue to grow off of something that's already, you know, poisonous? And flawed lawmakers. If yeah, people very that flawed are making law. the laws don't follow the laws, how do we even stand a chance? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, sort of the irony of the fact that, you know, law enforcement, you know, get to put a badge in their window that, or their, you know, their family members carry you know, PBA cards for quote unquote courtesy. So you get, you can break the law. You cannot follow the traffic laws and that's okay. Somehow you get a pass, but the rest of us don't. It's just, I don't get it. So, I mean, that's also throughout my career why I never displayed shields on my vehicles. I don't feel like I should get that courtesy because I should be trying to abide by the law the best way that I can, as well as my own family members. I, I really don't think there should be this mentality for law enforcement or anybody in any type of government where they feel like they're above the law or they should be given privilege. You know, really the only privilege you have, you know, representing the people is being that person that represents them. And that should be enough, not special pleading, not, not special things you get or getting out of a ticket here and there. And I think once you start to go in that direction, then it, it, it's a very slippery slope for, for good ethics and morals. Like, I, I just, I don't understand that mentality. And that PBA card doesn't work for everybody. No. Yeah. And if, the, if that officer is not having a good day or needs to meet their quota for, for, to reach the end of the month, they need more tickets or they're racist. Yeah, that PBA card can mean nothing. So I heard you say, Nick, a couple of times that um, that there are people in law enforcement that know things are wrong and they don't speak up or they're silenced. You said something along those lines. And that brings to mind the statement backing the blue or there being some type of code. I can't think of the, the term. And I know you're probably going to say blue it. line, maybe the one that's most popular right now. Blue lives matter. Blue lives matter. So, okay. so how do you respond to those statements and like that that code that seems to exist in law enforcement that you don't tell? It's like like you don't you don't tell our secrets. You don't tell on each other, so, even if we're doing something wrong. So I, I think there's a few questions there in that. Um, first off, I get really confused by back the blue. Who isn't black in the blue? <laughs> Not only that, if you are backing the blue, then why aren't you addressing the real issues in law enforcement? An officer is 75% more likely to take his own life than to lose his life to a perpetrator. So if you're backing the blue, then why aren't you fighting for better mental health care for law enforcement officers? Really, if, if you really care about helping your fellow co a cop, then why aren't you concerned that he's not getting mental health treatment for his PTSD from working on the job? Let's face it. A person with a gun and a badge and a mental health disorder is dangerous. And that needs to be addressed. That leads to a lot of other issues, even aside from racism. Now you put a cop that is mentally unstable with a gun and a badge and he's racist. Now that's like giving a loaded gun to a child, in my opinion. How, how do you expect him to be able to work professionally or, or do things without harming others? It's just a recipe for disaster. And the fact that people 
are using the opportunity to backing law enforcement as a way to hide as racists. When in fact, in fact, if you look at the 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 attempt to storm the Capitol, or should I say, the su success of storming the Capitol, where was the back the blue then? <laughs> they killed yeah. they, they 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 killed one officer, and and two officers later took their own life. How is that backing the blue, where they assaulted mul multiple officers, but yet these same people were carrying the Blue Lives Matter flags, the thin Blue Lives flags? It it really just stirs. A level of anger with me that how do you have the right to use that as your camouflage for ignorance and racism at this point those those blue flag those black or white flags with the blue stripes through it that's supposed to represent the american flag that's a huge violation of the flag standards for the federal government and the military the united states flag should not be altered it is supposed to represent all of us not independent groups. It doesn't represent just law enforcement. It doesn't just represent government officials. It is supposed to represent our citizens and everybody in our country. How dare they then alter it for their own cause, but yet scream foul when other people do things with the American flag. There's just such a level of hypocrisy and hate and negativity that I, I don't even know what, what to start with people like, like that. All I do is I list the facts. If you care about Blue Lives Matter, then why don't you care about the fact that 75% of cops are more likely to kill themselves? Why? There's no excuse behind that. And then when I educate those people, they still try to turn and make it into something that's, that, that is a counter protest to like Black Lives Matter or some other positive cause because they're just full of such hate and resentment of something they fear and don't understand. It just... It's illogical and not emotional intelligent on any level. So, but as far as that's the first part, the second part, as far as a code not to speak, and I think this comes in into our next question, you know, how about those, you know, a few bad apples, so to speak? Well, anybody that knows anything about starvation and being poor knows if you get a bushel of apples with one bad apple, very quickly, the rest of those apples are bad. And I'm going to say the same thing about law enforcement or any other agency or organization supposed to have a, a higher duty or a higher calling and, and have good morals and ethics. You need to weed out the disease in your departments and amongst your peers. It is your duty. You are bound by, by law as a law enforcement officer to protect everybody and to protect them from whomever. And that includes everybody, including yourself and the people you work with. So if you are not holding your peers to the standard which they're sworn upon, then you are also the problem. There is no way around it. And that being silent is, is a whole thing of the past because at the end of the day, if you care about yourself, it's gonna cost you your career if you don't speak up. It's gonna cost other people their lives if they don't speak up. There's no good it comes out of this whatsoever. And it not only becomes a problem from you being silent, but it condones what the other officers are doing that are racist or doing unethical things or are just criminal criminals themselves. You're condoning it by not speaking up. You're condoning it by even operating on the peripheral of, of that topic at all. And the fact that 
you then create an environment where these people become comfortable with it, then it's okay. And it's never okay. It's never okay to be racist. It's never okay to be hurtful or to harm another person just because you have power. It's just not acceptable. Do you think it's fair to say that careers like law enforcement tend to <clears throat> attract people who are more overt in their racism? Um, or do you think uh, it is just there's kind of this difficult group that is very belligerent about it? I mean, essentially what I'm asking is how does racism among law enforcement officers show itself? Um, is there a culture of racism there? I, I think that we have two problems in this country. We have a, a racist police problem and then we have a police problem. Um, mm. They overlap, but they're not the same because let I'm going to just put it out there right now. I know plenty of minority cops, POC cops, cops of different religious religions and creeds that struggle with being bigots and abusing their own power as well. So that is a police problem. Anytime you give too much power to an individual and there's no check and balance system, and then the joke of it is a self-reporting system, like really, if you're bad, you're going to tell on yourself. Let's, let's think of the logic there. <laughs> I mean, if you're a parent and you have a child and he's done something really bad, there's a lot of emotions that go behind that fear, you know, just no, sometimes just not awareness of what they did is, is that bad. And I think that's how a lot of these people operate. And then you do have the racists. And the one common denominator there is a personality type of people who suffer from things like um, narcissism. Uh, sociopathic uh, tendencies. The mental makeup of a law enforcement officer or the person that pursue, pursues law enforcement officer, uh, uh, the position of a law enforcement officer is not much that much different than that of a criminal or a serial killer. Think about that. And they've done studies to prove that. So there is this fine line between somebody who wields power and understands it well enough to take care of people and then to be on the flip side and to use it to abuse people. And, and it's really hard to figure out who those people are, but it is pretty apparent though, when you see some of these individuals abuse it and it needs to be dealt with swiftly or it just continues to, to pile up and continues to be a problem. And for anybody that's in law enforcement and anybody who, who wants a, a safe law enforcement department, then it's important for everybody to work together to make sure those people aren't in power. And when they do make a mistake that is beyond, you know, retraining or, or a minor disciplinary, that they shouldn't have those jobs. It's okay to not be a law enforcement officer. Yeah, it, it does suck to have to start your, a different career, but at the same token, you and your power and your career should not cost somebody else their, their, their lives if you are incapable of doing the job. And a lot of times I see guys like, for instance, when I worked in the prison system, they started installing more cameras and guys would complain about it constantly. And I'm like, why are you upset about cameras? Oh, well, they're watching what we're doing. And I said, are you doing anything wrong? <laughs> if you're not doing anything wrong, the camera can actually help you not hinder you. If you have a negative interaction, it speaks the truth, not just for that person, but also for you. It holds everybody accountable and it gives more of a witness 
that you can at least put a narrative to and sort of understand what happened better and weed out some of the 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 um, misunderstandings or the facts of the case to really come to a better outcome and consequence for either party. So I, I just really don't understand this total need for control on their part and the fear of anybody having more information in them. That's another thing that they use is the power of information against the average citizen. Because I'm going to tell you right now, after I went through the academy, I didn't realize the laws in this state. state. I, I had no clue. Like there's no legal definition of rape in this state. It's sexual assault. Rape doesn't exist on paper. <laughs> sexual assault does. So like small verbiage and legal speak is important when it comes to operating. And that also is important to people who fall victim of these racist cops and these corrupt cops. Oh, you sprang up such great points and, and um, just things that I've heard, but hearing you say them now, it just, it hits a little deeper. Mm. So let's, let's move to the war on drugs and how it disproportionately impacted communities of color. And just a little bit of, on that, right? So let's go to some facts. Nearly 80% of people in federal prison and almost 60% of people in state prison are there for drug offenses. The ones that are there for drug offenses are Black or Latina. That is ridiculous and mind-boggling when you think of the percentage that Black and Latinos make up in this country, which is barely 30%. But then when you look at how many of them are in prison for drug offenses, 80% and 60%, you, you cannot say that that right there is not an example of systemic racism. Well, it, it's it's actually pretty easy to see just with the laws. And, and again, this starts with legislation and unfair laws and the government abusing people based on color, socioeconomics, and many other things that that aren't fair to judge or pursue because that's just who some of these people are. You can't change the color of your skin. You can't necessarily change your, your economics overnight. Let's look at those laws. The difference between what back in the, the day they called white drugs versus black drugs or poor people's drugs versus rich people's drugs. The penalty for getting caught with cocaine and using it is not nearly as steep than it is being caught with heroin, what you would consider a poor drug. I mean, I've met people who are addicts that look down on other addicts because of the type of drugs they do when they all just kill you. So <laughs> the fact that the system has targeted specific drugs that specific people take with the, the, the sole principle of let's control the, the population who are poor and of color and of, of no means. And the history of, of the, the war on drugs was, you know, communism, communism and stuff like yeah. that. And once, once communism sort of went away, it was like, oh, we have to justify our jobs. What better way to justify our jobs and sell it to, to, to white America than say, we need to clean up drugs. We need to all of a sudden have a new war. Because let's face it, whether it's a war on drugs and a war on your own citizens or a war overseas, the one thing war has in common is it makes money. And if you continue to finance both sides of war, you win. And if I 
continue to sell to people of color as a businessman and also support laws that lock them up, I win regardless. I make money off of both sides. And that's just sickening. And that's the way the government has operated and continues to operate. And let me ask you a better question. Why are we locking people up for nonviolent crimes? This, these are things where people are harming themselves. A lot of these charges are second or third or fourth offenses for possession. And then the amount they say is for, for distribution is small and could be for just self-use. It, again, it's just another way to drag people down, incarcerate them, to use them in the system to make more money. I, it, it's, it's really frustrating to see that we're taking freedoms away from people who are honestly, a lot of drug use is self-medication for mental health problems and physical health problems. Maybe if we had a better healthcare system that was free for everybody, we wouldn't even have this huge problem with illegal drugs. Well, and I mean, we, you know, as since you're talking about facts, we know that statistically blacks and whites use, let's take marijuana, use marijuana at the same rates. And yet a white person is far less likely to be, in, to be um, charged, convicted and incarcerated for marijuana possession than someone who is black. How, how do you explain that other than a, a justice system that is uh, completely racist from the ground up? Yeah. So to end on a positive note, Nick, if you could do one thing um, to change how rigged the justice system is, or if um, policyholders and different government officials were listening right now and you could tell them to do one thing and they would have to listen, what would that be? I would like to have law enforcement be proactive instead of reactive and be part of the educational piece and solution to bigger topics like racism and uh, mental health. Let's face it, if people got the treatment and the fairness and equity and equality they needed before they even came in contact with law enforcement, they would probably never get caught up in that dragnet that you can't get away from. And then also the other thing too is I would have law enforcement departments that are led by administrators who have education and mental health backgrounds as well as civics. The average cop, even with a 20, 30 year career, just really doesn't have the tools to know what the general public needs when most of their contact with individuals is because of mental health disease and disproportionately poor as well as people of color and, and other unfairly treated people. And it's sad that we just simply ignore that and expect the problem to go away. That's, that's not how it needs to happen. I would like to see the role of law enforcement be seen as like firemen are seen or EMTs are seen. They're there to help you, not there to make you a criminal. It is supposed to be a job as a law enforcement officer to be a first responder. I would also like to see things like, for instance, being a deterrent to crime, not actively pursuing crime. I don't know why cop, cops and police officers need to drive in unmarked vehicles. I don't understand when we can have a clearly marked vehicle that shows there's police presence here. Maybe 
you should watch what you're doing and not because they're intimidated or fear, but you know, there is that saying locks are for honest people. It just, it gives you that sort of moment of, Hey, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. This isn't a good choice that day. And continue to have this sense of community and working together to have the closest thing to a utopia we can and to basically just make the world better around us, whether you're the cop, the citizen, or the government official. We should always be looking to be better, to want to be better, be better for ourselves and be better for the people around us. Thank you for listening to The Heart of the Matter in Black and White. Please join us next time when we will be discussing raising biracial children. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an outlier, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you giving up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you giving up?